We are starting a new series today called Make Love, Not War. And no, it is not a series all about sex, in case some of you are wondering. Um, We are kind of, we've, we've closed that chapter. What this series is all about, Make Love, Not War, is we feel like as a staff, we have been in a war of sorts these past couple of months with the sermon series that we've been doing, starting with It's Complicated and then moving into the Messy Relationship series. Man, it has been tough, divisive issues in a divided city, and we're ready to end the war, so to speak, and to move on to subjects like love and peace and understanding and unity, and that's exactly where Paul is heading as he moves through 1 Corinthians. We're staying in 1 Corinthians, but now we're looking at chapters 12 through 15, and unity is actually um, where we're going to start this morning. So, It's interesting to me, if you read the Gospel of John in the New Testament, John's account records the last prayer of Jesus. And Jesus' final prayer, just before he is taken away and then eventually um, hung on the cross and dies for our sins, the last prayer that Jesus prays in John chapter 17, he prays for three specific things. First, he prays for himself. He prays that he would be glorified so he could bring glory to his father and that he would be one with his heavenly father. He prays for all of his disciples, all those who are the followers around him at that time, that they would be one. And then the final thing that he prays for is he prays for everyone who would come to believe in him. So that's actually us in this room. If you are a believer in Jesus, this is a prayer that Jesus prayed for you 2,000 years ago. And it's longer than this, but this is the essence of it in verse 23. Jesus prays, may they, they being you and me, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. That's from verse 23 of John chapter 17. This is the last documented prayer of Jesus in John's gospel. So think about this. The last prayer he prayed, this must have been a huge deal to Jesus, that we would be unified. Now, let me ask you a question. Is that happening? Is the church worldwide unified? Is it? Do we have unity in the church today? Is Christianity unified? All right. I hear a little bit of mumbling, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show some slides. Let's, let's see if we can get a clear answer on whether or not the church is unified. All right, so let's look at this first slide. We've just come through this messy relationship series. We've been talking about sex and divorce and sexual orientation. Is the church unified around these issues? No, not at all. How about the next one? Okay, now this was much, much bigger issue probably a generation ago, but where does the church, what's its stance on alcohol and tobacco use? Okay, it's, it's still an issue today, and some of you are, are familiar with that, or you grew up in a church where, where this was a big deal. Maybe there's some of you who can even remember this little saying that goes like this, don't drink, smoke, or chew, and don't you dare what? Go with girls who do. Don't you dare go with girls who do, okay? That's just not something that you do if you're a Christian, all right? So do we have, do we have unity around this stuff? No, we don't. All right, how about the next one? Look at this happy little baby here. Okay, are we unified around baptism? No, no. Do, do we baptize infants or 
Do we, do we not baptize infants? Do we wait until they're old enough to, to know what they're doing and the faith that they profess? And then do we baptize them as believers in Jesus Christ? Okay, Here, here's the other thing about that. Do we baptize by immersion like this little guy? He's very excited about going under, you can tell. Um, just wait till you see his face after he pops up. No, I don't have that one. But um, So do we baptize by immersion? Or is it you do it, the water gets poured over? Or is it like a little sprinkle? Anybody get sprinkled? You know, does that count? Is that, you know, we, we don't have unity around baptism whatsoever. How about this next one? Are we unified around this guy? You're, you're fan. Okay, we have some fans of the Pope, and that's good. That's, that's good, okay. But here, here's, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Are we unified around the idea that God has divinely appointed one person whose words would be infallible, that they would be able to speak binding truth, authoritative truth over the church? Are we unified around the role of the Pope and the church? No, we're not. Okay, how about the next one? Now, this one really cracks me up. We can't even figure out what to call this thing as a church worldwide. Is it communion? Is it the Eucharist? Is it the Lord's Supper? I mean, what is it? Well, it depends what church you go to. Now, the other thing is, is it wine or is it grape juice? Did anybody, anybody know, you know, what is it, you know, wine or grape juice? And then here's the other thing. Do you, do you drink the cup and then you wipe it clean and that's kind of gross? Or, you know, does everybody get a little cup and kind of take a shot, you know? Or is it the, is it the dip and drip kind of method, you know, for, for celebrating communion? I mean, what's the deal there? And, and here it goes even further and, and, and on a much more serious note than that. When communion takes place, is that, does it literally become the body and blood of Jesus Christ, like in this supernatural moment, does it actually become Jesus' body and blood that we would, we would partake that, okay? Because there's a major belief out there that that happens. Or is it just representative of Jesus' body and his blood? So do we have any unity around this issue? No. How about this next one? What is the proper translation that we're supposed to use of the Bible? Okay. Anybody ever got in an argument with someone who's like, it's the King James, baby. King James version. That's right. You, you still using the King James back there? Oh, you got in an argument. Okay. Very, yeah, so major, major, um, major debates around, is it the NIV? Is it the, is it the KJV? Is it some other version? Which version of the Bible do we use? We're not unified around that one either. All right. How about this next one? How do we worship God? What worship music? Is it contemporary? Is it hymns? Is it no music at all? What is it? And finally, here's the last one. If Jesus were alive today, would he vote Republican (laughs) or would he vote Democrat? Which one would it be? Or neither. So do we have any sort of unity around these issues? No, no, we don't. So here's the crazy thing about this, right? This is the last prayer that Jesus prayed. The one thing would please, they would be unified. And we're not. So what in the world do we do about this? This is a huge deal to Jesus. Well, I guess we can take a little bit of solace in the fact that this is not just a modern 21st century issue, is it? 
This has been going on, division, divisiveness has been going on for the last 2,000 years. In fact, it goes all the way back to the very first churches. Think about this. Churches that had people in them that actually knew Jesus, that followed Jesus, that walked with Jesus, or had friends or family members or knew the disciples. Surely they would be unified, right? Surely they could be on the same page. But what do we know after trekking through the book of 1 Corinthians for the last couple of months? They weren't unified at all. So today we're looking at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Again, if you're new here, this is Paul's letter that he's writing to a church in Corinth. Corinth was a city very much like Washington, D.C., struggling with many different kinds of things. And the particular issue that he's addressing in 1 Corinthians 12 is over spiritual gifts. It's over spiritual gifts. Now, some of you know what spiritual gifts are. If you don't, let me give you a little definition. So spiritual gifts are abilities that are given to believers in Jesus Christ, okay? Abilities given to believers by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of strengthening others in the church. These are not natural abilities that you have from birth. These would be other abilities that coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ, empowered by his spirit, that would be these supernatural abilities that you would have, these spiritual gifts, all right? And they are for the purpose of strengthening other people in the church. They're gifts like the gift of faith, the gift of wisdom, the gift of healing, the gift of discernment, the gift of prophecy, just to name a few. We'll see a little later on in this passage some of these gifts actually listed in what we're going to read. So here's what was going on in Corinth. They were divided over this issue of spiritual gifts and whether like some were far superior to others. You know, were they all the same value? What was the deal going on? There was a lot of competitiveness over who had what gift and the role that those gifts played. And so Paul is writing to them and he's addressing this issue, which actually starts in chapter 12, goes all the way into chapter 14 as he's addressing this topic. But this is, this is basically where he starts out. We're starting in verse four. Paul writes, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. What Paul is saying there, is like, there's all these different gifts. But they're all good. And the reason why they're all good is because they're all from the same Spirit of God. So what he's saying there, and what he gets to in verse 7, is that this diversity of gifts is actually given for the common good. So basically what Paul is saying here is that diversity is a good thing. It's a good thing. But he says something, and it's profound. And and if you read these verses quickly, you'll just miss it entirely. That it's a profound truth. It's a theological truth about who God is. And it's right here found in verses four, five, and six. And if you are new to church or you're just kind of exploring Christianity and you don't really have much of a background in it, what is about to be said here is, is maybe going to be a little bit mind-blowing for you, and I just want you just to let you know that's okay, all right? Just be ready to kind of have your mind blown, because this is a, quite a radical concept. If you've grown up in church your whole life, you've kind of gotten, made some peace with this whole thing, but here's the deal, and this is what verses 4, 5, and 6 are, are showing us. It's this incredible thing. Christianity upholds that there is one God, say it with me, one God, three persons, 
One God, three persons. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, that means that there is one God that we worship, but three unique persons. God the Father, God the Son, that's Jesus Christ, who took on human form and died for our sins, and then the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, that fills the life of someone who believes and empowers them with certain gifts. And we see this Trinitarian theology right here in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4, 5, and 6. Check it out. You'll, you'll see it now. So Paul starts out, again, he's trying to show them that this diversity is a good thing. And here's what he says. There's different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. So you saw that? That's one of the persons right there. Okay, that's the person, the Holy Spirit. And based on that verse, what's the role of the Holy Spirit? To give gifts, right? To give these spiritual gifts to believers. Verse 5, there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Now, who's Lord referring to? Which person do you think? The Holy. Very nice, very nice. So, and what did Jesus come to do? What was Jesus' main role that we see in verse 5? He came to serve, right? He came as a servant. His whole life was about serving. He died on a cross to serve us. So we see, again, a distinct person of the Trinity doing a distinctly different thing. And then finally, Verse 6, Paul says, there are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God, God the Father, at work. Basically, the idea here is that God the Father is working in all things, in all things for the good of those who love him and for his glory. And so we see one God, three persons. And what this illustrates to us is that God, while unified, while one God is also diverse, three distinct persons of the Trinity. So this is powerful. Paul is saying here to us that diversity isn't just a good thing. It's a God thing. Diversity is essentially who God is by nature. So if your mind just got blown right now, like you're, you know, you just kind of, hey, I just came to church for people who don't go to church. What in the world? You know, that's, that's okay. Okay, because I'm telling you, myself included in this, we will spend our whole lives trying to wrestle with exactly what in the world. Is that, is that three gods? No, it's one God, three persons. Okay, it's, so just, it's okay. If your mind's blown, it's cool. Just ha- have some peace with that. We'll live to see another day on that one. We'll talk more about that in the future. Okay, so here's the bottom line. Jesus prayed for unity. How do we achieve unity? I want you to write this in. We, one of the ways that we achieve unity is we celebrate diversity. We celebrate diversity. And by that, I don't mean in terms of demographics, ethnicity, socioeconomics, skin color. Okay, that's, that's not, that's, that's a beautiful thing. Okay, we, we already know we celebrate that. Okay, we're clear on that. But what we're talking about here, when we're talking about celebrating diversity, is celebrating that the big capital C church, the church worldwide, is comprised of so many different types of churches who worship God in so many different kinds of ways and have different expressions in different ways that those churches live out their faith as a gathered community, their faith in Jesus Christ. So let me just give you a, a few examples of how this, how this plays out or has played out in my life. So historically, Catholics and Protestants have, have been opposed to one another, right? Would you say that's a fair statement? Constantly calling each other out. Uh, there have been wars and all courts, kinds of things going on. I mean, it's just, it's just been tough, okay? Always kind of quick to point out what's wrong with the other one and how one's right and how the other's wrong. So I come from a Protestant tradition. But I got to tell you, 
I had one of the most powerful experiences of my life, most empower, powerful spiritual experiences of my life in a Catholic church a few years ago. I was taking a class for seminary, but we had to go around to different churches, churches that were very different than ours, and we just had to document the experience for us. That was, that was really the whole assignment. And so I show up to this Catholic church for Catholic mass, and I, I came early, and um, I walk in, and you know, it's just so different. I mean, a number of you guys know, a number of you guys um, grew up Catholic, so different from what we experience here at Grace, you know? You walk in here at Grace, it's totally come as you are. There's some people who have like jogged to church, you know, or ridden, you know, ridden a, a bike or a skateboard or something, you know, and it's just, it totally come as you are. Like some people dressed in suits here, some people dressed in sweatpants, and it's all good because Jesus met people where they were, right? It's come as you are. We find that that's quite biblical and we're okay with that. And we feel very good about that. Well, I walk into this Catholic church, man, and like this outfit right here would have been underdressed. You know what I'm saying? Like this was in Annandale, and I walk in, and, uh, and instantly I'm just like, wow. You know, there was a formality to it that was amazing. I walk into the sanctuary, and unlike here, where if you walk into the sanctuary before service, we got music playing, and people are hanging out and talking to each other, and that's, again, we feel that's a biblical thing that we do, building community within the, the church. Man, totally different experience in this church. I walk in there, you could have heard a pin drop. There's marble everywhere, and there's not one word being spoken. There's people on those little um, kneelers, you know? Those things are cool, man. We got to get some of those, because those things are awesome. So everybody's like down on a kneeler. So, so they're down, you know, just praying. Nobody's talking to anybody, but there's just people everywhere, and they are just like kneeled down, face down, and they are praying to God. I got to tell you, it was a powerful experience for me. You know what I'm saying? Totally different. Totally different. Powerful, powerful experience. You know what it taught me? It taught me a lot about reverence for God. I'm not saying we have to get all high holy church and everyone should, shame on you if you're not dressed, you know, dressed up today. No, that's, that's not it at all. But we're coming to worship almighty God. And it was just palpable in the room. You know what I'm saying? It was, it was palpable. So then um, we go to take communion, the Eucharist. I didn't understand everything about the service. You know, stand up, sit down. You're just trying to keep up with everybody, you know, so you don't, you know, stick out too much. And so I'm doing the best I can. Well, we get to celebrating the Eucharist, the Holy Communion. And Catholics believe that that literally becomes Jesus' body and blood. Those elements literally become that. In that moment, it's a supernatural, unbelievable thing. And so you know what? And you'll never look at a Catholic mass the same way, if, if you know that now. Because you know what that means? When that priest is, is on that table and he's holding those elements, that's literally like Jesus' body, like right there. So do you think the most care is possibly taken? To, to We don't spill a drop. We don't let a crumb fall. That's why they come up, you come up and you take communion, the priest like literally is like, you know what I'm saying? This is Jesus, you know? Like, don't, I'm, I'm not being sacrilegious when I say that. I'm, I'm, this is so incredibly serious. The reverence for God in the place was absolutely awesome. It forever changed my concept of worship and, and just kind of just helped to balance me out. That, that is a prime example of celebrating diversity. Do I agree with everything about the Catholic Church? No, not at all. 
okay? It's funny things I don't, but can we celebrate certain things that are unbelievably cool on our strengths and maybe even balance out some places where we don't have enough of that thing? We can learn from them. They can learn from us. Let me give you another example. Anybody ever been to like a Pentecostal church service or charismatic church service? Yeah, yeah. You know if you have, believe me. If, you, if you're not sure, you haven't. You haven't been. Um, these things are characterized by like, it's highly emotional. It is absolutely like worship is nothing like worship here, man. It's demonstrative. And the biggest thing about uh, the charismatic movement is that there is just this expectation that God is going to move. The spirit of God is going to move. And so when you come into a charismatic church service, man, like, like you're just coming in like, okay, what's about to happen? God's about to do something like way cool. Like either prophecy over somebody that's going to change their life or like someone who's been, you know, it, crippled their whole life is going to be healed today. I mean, like it is just absolutely incredible. Incredible if you've ever been to a service like that. Now, I got to tell you that if you don't, if you've never seen that and you see it for the first time, you have no background or understanding or concept of the whole movement and what it's about, then there's going to be a big part of you probably when you see that, you'd be like, man, these people just seem a little off. You know, like they just seem really weird. And what is this? And are they all right? You know, and, and that's just probably going to be the natural reaction. But there'll be an equal part of you that first has that reaction. And then the other reaction is like, wow, this is pretty cool. I mean, it's kind of weird, you know, like I'm having, but, but this is pretty amazing. Like, and then when you actually, and this is the part that gets me, okay? When you hear stories from someone who's grown up in, in that tradition um, with that sort of expectation in services like that, there's stories, and it's hard to argue with certain stories, especially when you're talking to someone who can testify to what happened to them personally. And they sit there and they tell you, let me tell you how God moved. And you start hearing those stories, and you know what happens to me? I go, man, maybe I don't have enough faith. You know what I'm saying? Maybe, maybe I, I put a little too much of a squash on that one, and I, and I kind of ruled that out that God could do that. And I start thinking, I start thinking to the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament, where, where Jesus is going around and he's healing people. And you know what he keeps saying to people when he heals them, when he casts out demons, when he does all these miracles, you know what he keeps saying? Your faith has made you well. It's your faith that's healed you. He talks about how if there's an element of our faith that enables this whole thing to go. And he even wouldn't do miracles in his hometown. Why? They didn't have the faith. And you start going, do I have enough faith? Maybe I'm coming in and I don't have enough expectancy. Maybe, maybe, maybe I need to ratchet up my faith a little bit, that God might actually do something when I pray. And so for me, that's celebrating diversity. Okay? Does that mean like, that, that I want to go and, and, and you know, join the charismatic movement? And, and my, no. But is there something I can learn? Is there something I can celebrate there? Rather than just going, oh man, that's a little weird. Our differences are a great strength. That's what Paul's driving at in chapter 12. Now, I'll just give you one more example. It might be closer to home. Maybe you got uh, friends or family members, Christians, and you just, they don't believe the same things that you do, and, and they frustrate you. And, and maybe you've even got people in your life, and, and you don't even have certain conversations anymore. Because you just, it's just like, man, I can't even deal with this. this. This is crazy. We're getting nowhere. This is just frustrating. Maybe you're in a community group Bible study and there's certain people 
And they're so frustrating to you that like when they don't show up for your Bible study meeting, you're like, oh yes, this is awesome. You know, I hate to admit that, but you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Nervous laughter. Um, so um, the, the deal with that is that celebrating diversity is recognizing that God still works in and through that person who maybe is diametrically opposed to, to, to you. And I'm not saying that, that that means that you're supposed to embrace everything that they believe or listen and just totally abandon your core convictions. That's not what I'm saying at all. But recognizing, celebrating diversity in the, in the sense that that person who's frustrating you and they're kind of given counter arguments and counter examples, what does that do if you think about it? What's the redeeming goodness in that? They're, they're helping you to make sure you understand exactly where you stand, right? Like when someone comes at you with their counter position, it forces you to go, okay, what do I really believe about this? How do, how do I justify? They force you to do that. You can't not do it. You have to do it. So it just further strengthens your own faith, your own belief, or maybe just maybe every now and then they might say something that you go, wow, that's pretty interesting. I hadn't considered that. Or maybe that was something that I'd missed there. That is celebrating diversity. And that is actually one of the biggest ways that we can come together as a church. Capital C, Worldwide Church. I, um, in my neighborhood, my neighborhood's very active in, in different things. I live down in Annandale. And um, so we did this big 5K charity race. And, um, and I brought our, one of our Grace Church buses. Some of you guys have seen the buses that we run, the big black buses. They're hard to miss. They say a church for people who don't go to church, and then they have the website you know, right on them. And so um, I, I brought one down to the race to, to help out with some things. And there was a, a friend of mine in the neighborhood. I'm not going to say his name. But um, so we, the, the rallying point for the 5K was, was the neighborhood church, this, this little neighborhood church. And um, my buddy was so furious with me. Like when I pulled on the lot, I saw his whole demeanor, like just his whole expression just changed. And he was so ticked. How dare you bring this church bus onto our property. People are going to see this, church people who don't go to church, and your website, and they're going to go running to your church. I'm thinking, what's wrong with your church, man, if you think people just see a bus, and they're like out the door? Like, you got much bigger problems than a bus pulling up on your property, if that, okay? So here's the thing. I mean, genuinely furious, furious that I would dare do that. Now, Contrast that with something that's happening right here in Arlington, Virginia. Every single Wednesday morning, pastors from a whole group of churches right here in Arlington, different churches, diverse churches, come together to pray for this city. And you know what their mantra is? This little group, this pastor's prayer group, the mantra is, we don't compete with one another. We complete each other. Isn't that cool? We don't compete. We complete. I, that is celebrating diversity. Does that mean all those different churches have to say, well, we, we can't, you know, we've all got to find one, you know, we've got to get on the same page and all these different things and all the pictures we looked at on those slides? No. But can we just agree that God is at work in a whole diverse group of churches bringing people to himself? Now, how does this translate 
for you and me? What difference does this make for us? I just want you to think about, how do you think about people in other churches? How do you think about other Christians, maybe that have different, you know, that are in different kinds of denominations or expressing uh, the way that they live out their faith differently? How, How do you view them? Do you completely just shut them off? Are you just constantly thinking, man, I just wish I could just like have five minutes where I could just hammer some sense into that person? Or are you saying, man, you know, wh- what might we be able to learn from one another? Now, I just want to say this, okay? Diversity is a powerful thing and it should be celebrated. But in no way, shape, or form am I saying that we then need to like abandon our core beliefs. That there are certain doctrinal things that we hold to. It, it doesn't mean anything goes, and if any, any organization is calling themselves a church, then, then that's, that's just great, and you know, we should just be happy about that, and we should agree, and, and all this stuff. No, we, we can definitely have things that we agree about. Definitely have things that we agree about. We, we can hold true to our convictions and our core doctrines, but at the same time, just recognizing that diversity is a powerful thing, and it's a strength, and that God uses it in a mighty way. One of finish reading these last few verses and give you one more thought and then we'll close out. Paul continues in verse eight. See if you can pick up a pattern here. He says, to one there is given through the spirit a message of wisdom. This is the spiritual gifts I told you we'd we'd hit. So to one through the spirit, a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of that same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one spirit, picking up the pattern, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. You saw the pattern, right? It's the same spirit, different gifts, same spirit, the one and the same spirit. So yes, we have this great diversity in terms of spiritual gifts. But what Paul is saying is we can never lose sight of what they all share. And that is one and the same spirit of God that is enabling all those things. So here's the deal. The capital C church, the church worldwide, may be divided in a million different ways. But there is one thing that unites the church, the capital C church, and that is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came to this world, lived a life that none of us could live, a perfect life, died on a cross as payment for all the sins of mankind, so that through faith in him, we would have eternal life and a right relationship with God. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we can celebrate diversity, but if you want to write in this final one, never lose sight of Jesus. We celebrate diversity, never losing sight of Jesus. I just want to close by saying this. I have never been as proud to be a part of this church as I have these last two months. These past two months, going through incredibly divisive issues in an already divided city with a tremendously diverse congregation in terms of background, in terms of belief, in terms of where we are in our spiritual journey, it has just been an epic, 
epic time for Grace Community Church. And man, we have had so many incredibly tough conversations and intense discussions around what we've been talking about these last eight weeks or so. I mean, emails and and conversations after service and in community groups, it has been amped up. But you know what has been amazing about that? We've been able to debate and dialogue and get really intense and be passionate about defending what we believe and getting all over that. But what I'm so, so proud of to be a part of this church is that you guys have never lost sight of the thing that unites us. You have never lost sight of Jesus Christ. So we can debate, we can dialogue, we can do all this, but in the right spirit, in a spirit of unity, where we actually are, we are celebrating diversity. It doesn't mean we agree with everything, but we're celebrating that, and we're never losing sight of Jesus. So I just want to give you guys a hand and say... Keep up the good work for that one. That, that is an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. I'd like to pray for you, and then we'll dismiss. God, um, we thank you for your word, which constantly um, challenges us. God, it is challenging sometimes to celebrate uh, diversity when it comes to the church. Lord, uh, we all know that here at Grace, we're doing things the right way, and there's other, all the other churches are doing things not the right way. Um, but help us, Lord, to, um, to just see that we have a lot to learn. Help us to see that, um, Lord, your, your church worldwide, you are on the move, and you are doing amazing, many amazing things in your church. Lord, uh, if there are people in our lives that, and we just have kind of um, cast them to the side, you know, other Christians because we, we just feel like they're not adding any value and they're so misguided and they're so lost in, in terms of where they are, I, I pray, God, that you would renew uh, a dialogue and that you would just um, help us to, to, to see what we can celebrate and, and what, you're, what you're doing in them and um, just how we can leverage that for your kingdom. God, it is an amazing thing to think about Two billion people today will come together to worship you. To thank you for your son who died on a cross for us. This is being expressed in so many different languages and denominations and modes of worship and and, and every kind of a way possible. It's like a kaleidoscope. But somehow, someway, God, you're at work in all of it. And by your spirit, we are one. We thank you. We celebrate this because of you, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right. Thank you guys for being here. Have a great week. If you're new to Grace and you want to come to Grace in five, it's everything you need to know in five minutes or less. It's going to be right over here on that wall. Thanks. God bless. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.